We're looking tonight again at Isaiah chapter 65, which we were looking at this morning, and we're following on with verse 20 to 25, the last part of the chapter. It's very interesting if you start, if you do a spread view of Isaiah, you find that chapter 63 and 64 are a prayer request from the people of Israel, and they're calling out to God in chapter 63, 11 through to chapter 64, and then in chapter 65 to 66, the Lord answers, and these chapters are a part of his answer to their questions. I just mentioned that because it's good to sometimes get a bigger picture of how things fit together. We're looking at verse 20. Now, it says, No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die 100 years old, but the sinner, being 100 years old, shall be accursed. Then, sorry, they shall build houses, not then, they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble. For they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Please keep your Bible open there. Tennis is a big thing in our country as well as football. And uh, in 2018, uh, as the newspapers said, there are perils for having a giant TV screen. And someone in London who had a a super-sized screen, you know, these ones are almost like mini-cinemas, found outside his house, he had hundreds of people were looking in through his window watching the match. It seems like there's nothing like getting the big picture, is there? And that's true when it comes to to Bible prophecy as well. We need sometimes to get the big picture of things. And uh, it's amazing how scripture gives light to scripture to help us do this. What we saw earlier on in our readings in Revelation 20 uh, helped us to set the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, the thousand year reign of Christ after his second coming when he comes back to earth. Uh, into its context. But we come to Isaiah 65 and we get more details as we do in the Old Testament prophets about what that kingdom will be like. And I think it's a helpful study for us to take these things in and look at what the Bible says. You know, we're, we're expecting a coronation next week. Uh, I've got to be honest with you, I've lost all excitement and interest and hope in it uh, with what we've heard in the news today. I feel, feel grieved. But I know that beyond that, the true king is coming. And we're looking forward to his coronation and his second coming. You know, when you play a game of drafts and uh, you get your player to the other side, you say to your opponent, crown him. God's going to bring his, his son into the world. He's like, crown him with many crowns. Crown him. He's, good. He's the winner. 
he's the victor and he is coming back. And, uh, you know, the olden days used to see people walking around with placards up saying, the end is nigh. Actually, the truth is the beginning is nigh because we're just only perhaps... I don't know, I can't say, I don't want to be accused of date setting, but if the Lord was to come tonight, we're only seven years away from this thousand year reign of Christ. It's not very long, is it? Potentially, potentially. So what is going to happen? Well, if we look in the scriptures, we see that one day in the future, the Lord Jesus is going to come for his church. This is not the second coming, this is the rapture. This is what Jesus said, if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with me. That place which he's prepared for us in heaven. That's where he comes and takes us out of the world to be with him in heaven. 1 Thessalonians 4, the Lord will come down and uh, uh, he'll speak and the dead will rise and return with Christ. And we who are remaining will be caught up to meet him in the air. That's the rapture of the church. And that could happen at any time. It could happen tonight. Uh, We could hear a trumpet blow and that would be fine with me. I'd be happy to go. But then after that, there will come seven years of trouble on the earth. Now, we talked about this in the uh, Daniel prophecy recently. And this is what Revelation's bulk of uh, chapters is about, the seven-year tribulation. Tribulation means big trouble. And that's what's coming on this earth in the future, big trouble. Seven years of judgment from God. And it's put in three waves of judgment coming, as revealed in the book of Revelation. Seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, the bowl judgments. And I want to tell you, if you think that uh, you're tough, this will break you. Because it's good. Jesus said, those days were cut short. No flesh would survive. That's how bad it's going to be. It's going to be a bad time. But the good news is, at the end of that time, The Lord Jesus Christ will come back to earth. At the rapture he comes in the air. At the second coming he comes back to earth. And this is his glorious appearing. The first is the blessed hope. And Paul said in Titus 2.13 we're waiting for the blessed hope. And the glorious appearing of our great God and saviour Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming back to earth. At his second coming. And as we read in Revelation 20, he will defeat the Antichrist, defeat the armies against him at the Battle of Armageddon, and set up his kingdom, and then reign for the thousand years before the final state comes in, the eternal heavens and the earth. So that's where we are, and we're looking forward to the return of Christ. And the kingdom is a, is a very important part of God's prophetic program. Now, a lot of people today say, well, you know, I just don't really get it. Why do we have to have a kingdom? I mean, if God is going to make all things new uh, in the new heavens and the new earth, and we're going to have eternal judgment for the lost in hell, in the lake of fire, and we're going to have eternal heavens, why do we have to have the kingdom before that? It's a good question, but it's, it's one that's, uh, that is explainable only by scripture. And the best scripture to explain that is Hebrews chapter 2. In Hebrews chapter 2, Paul, I believe who wrote Hebrews, explains God's purpose for Christ coming as a man. And he uses Psalm 8. You know, remember Psalm 8? Psalm 8, you know, it says that, uh, that God made man to be a little lower than the angels. And he quotes that. He says, he has not put the world to come. That's, that's the world to come on the earth. That he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. Because God said he made man to be in charge of the earth. And the ultimate fulfillment of that is going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse uh, uh, 
8, he says, but now we do not yet see all things put under him. And that's where we're at at the moment. Today we do not yet see the whole of creation put under Christ. That's what it says in Hebrews 2. But when Jesus comes back, the whole of creation will visibly be seen to be put under Christ's reign and his authority. And God's purpose will be fulfilled to have a perfect man ruling the world. That's what Adam was meant to be, but Adam sinned. But God's purpose will not fail. And Jesus Christ will come back and will reign for that thousand years. There's other purposes for the millennium as well. Uh, one of the which is it shows the wickedness of, of men's hearts at the end of that time when they rebel against Christ. You think about it, for a thousand years they'll have had Jesus sat on the throne. It won't be, well I'd believe in God if I could see him. He's there, you can, you can see him. You'll have a, a perfect state, as we're going to see uh, in this chapter. And people always say, oh, well, you can't believe when there's all the suffering in the world. Well, that suffering won't be there, as we're going to see tonight. And yet they will still rebel against Christ. <laughs> and that proves, doesn't it, the wickedness of man's heart. It's not any of these other excuses. It's their own heart of sin. So why does there have to be a, a millennium? Those reasons, I believe, help explain it. Uh, But I want us to look forward to this tonight and to be encouraged because life in Christ's kingdom when he comes is going to be absolutely amazing. And just as we saw earlier on in Isaiah chapter 65, the blessings of those who are saved. So it will be on earth when Christ comes back as well as in the eternal state. Now, this is interesting to to work out from Isaiah 65 because in a lot of prophecy you have different time frames put together. Remember, this was one of the problems that the Jewish people had with understanding about the Messiah of Jesus. Uh, The fact that he had to suffer before he reigned. And they didn't understand these scriptures put together. And the Lord Jesus said to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, you know, how slow you are to believe all the scriptures. They believed the bits about the reign of Christ. They didn't believe about the suffering of Christ or they didn't understand it. Well, we can be like that too. Sometimes we don't see the the distinctions between different passages of scripture because they tend to flow down the river together. But after having described the new Jerusalem in verse 19, which we looked at, he then comes back in time to the kingdom. And that's what verse 20 through to 25 is dealing with. And we know that because it deals with things like death, Uh, uh, amongst other things which won't be there in the eternal state. Charles Ryrie in his study Bible says a description of the millennial kingdom which is is preliminary to the new heavens and new earth is mentioned here. And uh, I agree with that. Interestingly in chapter 66 he goes back another step again and goes back into the tribulation. So it's like he's working backwards from the eternal state. But let's have a look tonight at these things and see life in Christ's kingdom. Because I think it will encourage us uh, and bless us. Because this, this kingdom will be marked by four, five things which we see in this passage. It will be marked by superior age, secure homes, safe children, swift prayer and a safe environment. I mean, that's like heaven on earth, isn't it? And that's exactly what it's meant to be. Remember what the Lord Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What comes next? On earth 
as it is in heaven. The kingdom is to teach us what heaven is going to be like. And it gives us uh, a foretaste of what's to come. So let's have a look at these different things and uh, enjoy thinking about them tonight. First of all, the kingdom will be marked by superior age. This is in verse 20 and in verse 22. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days. For an old man who has not fulfilled his days... For the ch- nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days, for the child shall die 100 years old, but the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. Now what this is talking about here is the fact that in the millennium, the people who have come through the tribulation, who are Christians, and there will be people saved during the tribulation, after the rapture has happened, uh, uh, when uh, the witnesses are preaching on the earth and 144,000 uh, are ministering on the earth, there will be people saved in that time, praise God. And some of them, when Jesus comes back, will still be alive. Those who have died will be raised when Christ comes back, uh, and they'll have their resurrection bodies. But those who survive will go through into the kingdom in their normal bodies at the start. And they shall live long lives in that kingdom. You can have to be a believer to get into God's kingdom. This won't be just anybody and everybody. Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And only those who know the Lord will be allowed in. The sheep and goats judgment will divide the saved from the lost before they come in. And so the believers will come in and they will populate the earth. And, they, and their children will live Many, many years. It's an amazing thing. You know, today we are increasing in years. I collect these things out of the newspaper. 120 years, the world's oldest groom. Can you imagine getting married at 120? I mean, just to be alive at 120 today, pretty good, isn't it? Uh, How about this one? Josie, 126, the oldest man ever, they reckon. Well, he's not the oldest man ever, uh, but he's uh, uh, pretty good down in Brazil at 126. And... 127, a lady in Mexico. And that's pretty good going, isn't it, by today's standards. And, you know, by today, uh, as a result of medication and understanding in science, people are living longer. I found some interesting reports in, the, in science magazines and in the newspapers uh, about how science is now helping us in the study of genes and we're working out what causes deterioration and corruption. And in tests in mice have enabled 30 times longer lifestyle time in a mouse. So when they put that into the life of a person, they think you know, they'll be able to help people to live longer, which is quite interesting. There's some interesting prophetic things about that. But that's nothing compared to how long people are going to live in the, tribu- in the millennial kingdom. People are going to live a very long time. In fact, it'll be so much so that if you, if you don't reach uh, 100 years, you'll be counted as a sinner. <laughs> Somebody who will be assumed that you've, you, you've been under uh, God's judgment. And a, a child who dies, a person who dies 100 years old will be considered a child. There will be capital punishment in the kingdom uh, for any who become who, any of the children of those who come into the kingdom who are not saved and who rebel and uh, they perpetually commit crimes against Christ. Then after uh, they reach the hundred years, I guess, there will be capital punishment. 
But the point is this, a hundred years, I mean today that's like old age, but in the kingdom that's going to be like nothing. That's going to be like childhood. And it will be unheard of for either an infant or a child not to see through the length of their days. And it's going to be like it was before the flood. You know, in Genesis chapter 5, there's an amazing chapter, isn't there, of the ages of the people from Adam through to Noah. And, of course, great old Methuselah lived 969 years, didn't he? And the ages are phenomenal. Now, I don't know about you, but I take the Bible literally. I believe that. I don't believe that's a figment. I don't believe that's spiritualized. I believe that. God did that in the beginning. And this is what he's going to do again in the kingdom. It's the same thing again. In fact, what we're told in verse 22, in the second half of verse 22, is that the age of people will be like the trees. It says, for as the days of a tree, in verse 22, second half, so shall be the days of my people, and my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. So the days of people is going to be like trees. Now, trees live a long time. This is, by some accounts, in the Guinness World Records, the oldest tree. It's a bristlecone pine uh, in uh, North America, which is reckoned to be 4,600 years old. To me, that doesn't even look like that's alive, but they reckon it is. And that's the, the guy, Dr. Edmund Shulman, I think it is, who found it. And that's like take you right back to the days of the patriarchs, which is phenomenal how long trees can live. We know that there are olive trees in Jerusalem uh, that are thousands of years old, and they do live that long. Trees live a very long time. There are two other older trees, and one of them is in this country. There's up in Perthshire, uh, the Fallingate Yew, as it's called, which is reckoned to be 5,000 years old. You think about that, it's phenomenal, isn't it, that trees can live that long. Well, what Isaiah is saying here is that our age is going to run rings around the trees. <laughs> We're going to live even longer. As the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. There will be superior age for those who come into the kingdom. <clears throat> now, that's a foretaste of heaven. Because in heaven we have something better. In heaven we don't live a long life, we live eternally. And uh, it's, a, it's a, an appetizer to people to see the power of God. And those who uh, come into the kingdom, they can enjoy that superior age. And uh, Christ has the power to raise them again uh, in resurrection bodies after that. But what a tremendous thing to realize the power of Christ to give us that length of life. You know, one thing man can't avoid is death, isn't it? And yet Christ has power over it. Second thing we see here is that in the kingdom there will be secure homes. This comes out in verse 21. It says they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Now we tend to think of the kingdom very much in terms of spirituality. But actually in the Bible... Uh, it has always been connected with the physical as, as well as the spiritual. Every man will sit under his own fig tree and so on. <clears throat> and God is going to bless the people who come into the kingdom with property and land that they're going to enjoy living in. And these lands and that will be given to them in security. Their, their lands and their, their vineyards and their houses will not be taken away from them. 
And what you have here, and I'm going to cover this point and the next couple of points quite quickly, is a, a, a reversal of the curse. And actually all these things are a reverse of God's curses. If you think about the curse on the Garden of Eden, <coughs> that's where a lot of this comes in. Excuse me. And the Lord will reverse a lot of that when he comes back. But this is a reversal of the curse in the Mosaic Covenant as well. In Deuteronomy 28, and verse 30, the Lord told uh, the, the children of Israel that if they went away from him, in verse 30 he said, you shall, not, you, you shall build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but you shall not gather its grapes. Well, here we have the reversal of that in Christ's kingdom. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. And I have to say, when we think about the state of our world today, security-wise, you know, what an encouraging thought that is. Uh, that your land, your home, will be safe under Christ's rule and no one will take it from you. That's a statement in today's wicked world. Add on to that the next blessing, which is safe children, in verse 22. Uh, sorry, verse 23. They shall not labour in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble. For they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord, and their offspring with them. Now again, this verse is speaking about uh, the, the prosperity of health and safety in the kingdom when Christ reigns. And it tells us here that children will not be taken away from those who have them. They shall not labour in vain. You know, it's a terribly hard thing, isn't it, when somebody loses a child. It's the, probably the biggest pain, I think, imaginable. And yet it won't happen in the kingdom. They won't bring forth children for trouble and them being taken away. And bear in mind, Isaiah is saying this to a people who were under judgment and their children were going to be taken away. He was saying this to the children, people of Judah who were going to be carried away captive and uh, their children were going to be taken away from them. But when Christ's kingdom, their descendants of the blessed of the Lord, that's those who are saved and their offspring with them shall be safe. And that's again a reversal of the curse. Deuteronomy 28 verse 39 said, You shall plant vineyards and tend them, but you shall neither drink of the wine... Uh, wrong, sorry, wrong verse. Verse 41, he says, you shall, not, you shall beget sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, for they shall go into captivity. That's what's going to happen and, uh, under God's judgment. But the Lord reverses that curse at his second coming. You know, this really touches my heart. Uh, some people say to me sometimes, what's it like being a pastor, being up on that side of the pulpit? Do you want to know what it's like? Okay, this is what the view from the pulpit is like. It's like this. <laughs> okay. I've kept that picture for years. <laughs> but you know what it tells me? Not only a lot of faces, a lot of fragile people. And that's what we are, isn't it? We're fragile people. I, I, sorry, I keep quoting Bob Dylan's songs, but one of Bob Dylan's songs is called Lord Protect My Child. And there isn't a parent in this room who doesn't pray that. Lord, protect my child. Well, in the kingdom, they won't need to pray that because they will be kept safe. And that's a, that's a glorious thing to look forward to, isn't it? And then 
fourthly, we see uh, in the reign of Christ, there will be swift prayer. And this is very interesting. Verse 24, it says, It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. Let me tell you about a godly monarch, shall I? This is Queen Willenheim of the Netherlands. She was a Christian. One time she went to inspect her troops. Uh, she wasn't interested in how good they were in battle. Do you know what she stood before them and asked all her troops? How many of you pray? Wish we had a queen or a king like that, don't you? How many of you pray? And hardly any of the men prayed. But one or two testified that they did. And she encouraged them to be people of prayer. She said, nothing can be done more for our nation than to be people of prayer. And what a wonderful testimony that is. And, you know, prayer is the Christian's native breath, isn't it? We call on the Lord continually. But we have to be honest, in this day and age, one of the things that we struggle with is the fact that so often it seems like our prayers go unanswered. We call on the Lord for things, we pray for, for things that uh, are dear to our hearts, and yet it seems like the heavens are made of brass sometimes. How many times in this church have we prayed for revival, souls to be saved, for these pews to be filled? You know, and we keep praying it, and we keep praying it, and we keep praying it. And sometimes the struggle is that it feels like, you know, that, that prayer isn't coming, getting through. Well, in the kingdom, it's going to be totally the opposite. In the kingdom, God says this, it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And by the way, this is the context of that verse. I often hear that verse quoted, but in its context, it's where it's true. In the kingdom, God says, before they call, I will answer. And while they're still speaking, I will hear. So you'll be praying about things and bang, it's happened. You go, wow, this is amazing. We'll pray about things. Bang, it's happened. You think that this was never like this before? Bang, it's happened. Now, what is the dif- difference between what it'll be like in the kingdom and now? The difference is that delay. What is different between the kingdom and now? Well, we read it earlier in Revelation 20. Satan will be bound for a thousand years. And that is the biggest clue to hindrance in prayer. You know, if we were to turn in our Bibles tonight to Daniel chapter 10, we'll see Daniel uh, asked the Lord and prayed for the Lord to give him revelation. And for three weeks, Daniel fasted and prayed before the Lord, wanting to get revelation on the things God had been showing him. You think about that, a godly man like Daniel, you couldn't say, well, he's, the reason his prayers weren't answered, he wasn't living a godly life. Daniel was one of three men with, along with Job and, and Noah, who God said, these were the, if these three men were on the earth, I would save only these three men uh, by their righteous lives. He was, a, he was a, a, a good man, and yet he had to wait three weeks, uh, it fasted three weeks, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed, and it seemed like the answer wasn't coming. And then God gave him a visit from an angel. And the angel came to him, and he said, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come before because of your words. Isn't that amazing? He said, As soon as you prayed, God sent me out with the answer. So it wasn't that God had delayed. 
So why had it taken so long for the answer to come through? Verse 13, he says, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, three weeks. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I have been left alone there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. That's the difference. We're living in a day and age where the devil and spiritual powers are still active. And it often is one of the causes to the hindrance of prayer. And I just want to show you the difference, what it would be like in the kingdom. Because I think it sheds light on our situation now today. So remember what one old Puritan said. God's delays aren't always God's denials. Sometimes God means us to persevere in prayer like Daniel did. Because this is the age we're living in. And uh, we need to be steadfast in prayer. But what a difference it will be in the kingdom where they have those swift, sudden answers. It'll prove what the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. He said, and when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. It'll prove that point. And uh, it'll be a testimony to God's goodness. Finally, we see here in the kingdom, there will be a safe environment. And this is what verse 25 says. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord found a, an interesting story in one of my favourite magazines, Reader's Digest, uh, about a Bengali fisherman. And this man who was catching some shrimps for a meal, he was sat on the edge of his boat, <coughs> dangling his feet in the water, and he was catching some shrimps, and he decided to get down into the water to, to go uh, uh, and improve his fishing, and he got down into the mud. And as soon as he got down into the mud... A, a tiger appeared and jumped him and attacked him. And it was trying to drag him out of the mud into the, into the grass to go and obviously kill him. Uh, but because he was in such deep mud, he used that as a weight to try and stop the tiger being able to pull him out. And he made it difficult. The tiger did get him to shore, but the tiger gave up the fight. And this man survived a brutal tiger attack. One of the few people who does did. And it was a, a great you know, uh, comfort to him because his own father had been killed by a tiger attack uh, in the same area. And you can see there his wounds on the back of his uh, shoulder where the tiger had attacked him. Well, you know, that's the world we're living in. And for many people... Wild animals like that are a great reality and a, a fearful reality. But in the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, nature itself will be brought under his uh, sovereign power to yield and to become 
gentle again. It'll be a reversal of the curse that God put on the earth in the days of Adam. And we're told here animals will live together who would never normally, the wolf and the lamb. Now we often say the lion and the lamb, but actually in scripture it's the wolf and the lamb. And by the way, you'll see this is a repeat of what is said in Isaiah 11, where it's mentioned earlier. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. That word together is the Hebrew word echad, which means one. It's the word that's used in Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They shall feed together in safety. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And uh, what you're telling me there is that a, a lion will, will cease to be a, a, a carnivore and will become a herbivore. It will be vegetarian. Now, this is an amazing reversal in the environment. And the last part of the verse says, They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. What a dramatic change. Woody Allen once joked, he said, The only time you'll see the the lion lie down with the lamb is if, if the lamb is inside the lion. Well, he's wrong. Because God has the power. And there have been experiments and and miracles in in our own day which have shown the possibility of this. Uh, I wonder how many of you remember seeing this book or maybe saw the film Little Tyke. Little Tyke was a a, a captive uh, tiger uh, rescued and she was fed on a vegetarian diet. The, The owners looked after her but they fed her because she didn't have a mother they didn't feed her meat they fed her a vegetarian diet and she was as docile as any other creature and they kept her literally with lambs and uh, there's lots and lots of pictures you can find of this uh, uh, where, where she even refuses to eat meat they, they have like big hunks of meat like from a butcher's shop and she refuses to eat meat it was an amazing testimony the fact that God has put that in animals and it is a potential uh, which will be realised in the kingdom there's another story I've used these for children's talks so I'm not dwelling too long on these some of you may remember this the story of the leopard that comes to visit the cow in, in India every night they, they don't know what the connection is, why the cow and the leopard seem to get on. They think that maybe the leopard was born near the cow and the cow uh, reminds it of its mother. But this leopard comes into the village and goes to the, uh, the cattle uh, stall and it, it says hello to the, the cow without harming it every single night. It's just phenomenal, isn't it? But that's a little foretaste of what will happen when Christ reigns. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. Only one creature is still going to be under the curse, and that's the serpent. In verse 25 it says, And dust shall be the serpent's food. His power to hurt will be taken away. We read that in chapter 11 where we're told that uh, a, a little child should play in a viper's den, but the curse of the ser- on the serpent will still be to eat dust. That's because of the satanic element in Genesis chapter 3, 14, still continuing as a judgment on the devil. But what a transformation. What a safe environment. And you know, a lot of people get hung up on, oh, we want to make the world green, we want to make the world safe. Listen, if you really believe that, then turn to Jesus. Because he's the one who has the power to do it. Man isn't going to do it. It's only the Lord Jesus Christ who will bring in such a change. And practically, for us today, I find such an encouragement in this as well. Because the one who can subdue the wolf and the lion, he's the one who can subdue me. You know what my biggest problem is, shall I tell you? You're looking at him. 
My biggest problem is me. My sin nature, my, my willful sins. You know, that, I'm the biggest problem to myself. I cause me more problems than anybody else on the earth. <laughs> and I'm so thankful that the one who will be able to subdue these creatures, he has the power by his spirit to work in me and help me in the battle of sin uh, as well, which I, he, he does as we submit ourselves to him. So what an amazing kingdom it, was, it is going to be when the Lord Jesus Christ comes. And it will be for those who know Christ as Saviour and Lord, who either come back with him at the second coming with his army from heaven, or are converted through in the tribulation and go through. One thing I'll tell you this, you won't get in unless you're born again. If you want a new birth, you need a new birth on earth before there's this second coming of Christ and this new kingdom. Unless a man is born again, said the Lord Jesus, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That includes heaven as well. If you want to go to heaven, you must be born again. And if you haven't asked the Lord to be your saviour, do so tonight. Trust in Christ's finished work on the cross for you, that these heavenly blessings may be yours forever. Your sin can be washed clean in the precious blood of Christ and a new nature, new heart, which loves the Lord and will follow him can be given to you. One old Puritan said, five minutes experience of this will be better than five years meditation on it. And that's absolutely true. And uh, I'm looking forward to it.